looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. So you can open your Bibles there. We're going we're gonna to land here. We're also going to then jump over to uh, Ephesians 4. But we'll be mostly in 1 Thessalonians as we think about what, what Paul is saying about encouraging one another. If you don't have a Bible, you forgot yours at home, Pew Bible, page 988. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11 this simple command. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, one of the things I love about Paul's letter here to the church of the Thessalonians is the fact that they were a church that was doing well, and Paul was simply encouraging them onwards. And he begins chapter 4 with these words. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, they were walking into, in obedience to the Lord. Paul saw it. He identified it. He commended them to it and encouraged them to press on in their obedience. Just, yes, you've, I'm calling you to, to obey, but you're already obeying and, and you've been taught by God to obey. And so I'm just encouraging you to, to walk all the more, to keep going. Maybe, maybe walk faster or don't get tired. Just keep going. Excel still more, as the NAS says. He says practically the same thing in chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, Paul noticed how they were loving one another. And he, he brings it to their attention. He says, I see your love you have for one another, and I know the love you have for one another. In fact, even this love you have for those in Macedonia, and you are doing great. I don't even need to talk to you about what it means to love, because you've been taught by God to love. But yes, I encourage you to excel still more, or to do more and more, as the ESV says it. And that's exactly what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In other words, I want you to encourage one another. I want you to build one another up. And you know what? You're already doing that. You are building up one another. As Paul noticed how they were doing that, he just encouraged them to continue in the work. And I feel in many ways that Paul is describing our church. Is that I feel like we are doing well in obedience to the Lord. I mean, I see people as I interact with you. You have a desire for obedience, for walking in ways that pleases Him in general. You have a love for one another that I see that and I, evidence, and I see evidence of that. And I just, I'm so encouraged by that. And I see you encouraging others. And I just want to say with the Apostle Paul, do it just as you are doing or to do so more and more. And much of First Thessalonians is really an encouragement. It's a letter of, of encouragement to, to their church to, to press on in the faith. In fact, you can even argue that First Thessalonians is written as an encouragement to those in Thessalonica. So it's, an, it's a book of, of encouragement. And what Paul commands in chapter 5, verse 11, he demonstrates throughout his letter, he's encouraging them. In fact, the, the, the historical circumstance surrounding the letter is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, 
Right? In, in chapter 3, 1 through 5, he was, I couldn't bear it no longer like I was worried about how you were doing in your faith. But now that Timothy has come to, to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us since we long to see you. Right? He's, he's just so encouraged that Timothy's come back that he's written this letter. Like he's, yes, they're walking with the Lord and, and they are, are, are thinking kindly of us and we're thinking kindly of them. So I'm going to write this encouraging letter back to them. And that's what he does. I and mean, look at how encouraging this is in chapter 1, verse 2. That's how it starts. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, so this faith that was working they had, and they had a love that was laboring, and they had a hope that was steadfast, and Paul was thankful to God for the way that God was working in their lives. Indeed, that's the message of verse 4 and 5. Look, we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In other words, Paul came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel to them and the power of the Holy Spirit was, was evident that they were convinced of their sins. They saw Jesus as their only hope for the Savior, for a, a Savior. They, they placed their hope and their faith in Him and they were fully assured in their faith. And, and by this, it says, I know you've been loved by God and I know that God has chosen you. I know these things. And, and though Paul was with them for only three or four weeks, you read about that in Acts chapter 17, he saw the working of God in their lives. That indeed they were loved by God and they were chosen by Him. And and Paul was thankful for the way that God was working in their lives. And I would say that that as Paul thanked God for their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, it was an extreme encouragement to those in Thessalonica. I mean by this. C.J. Mahaney writes this. Too many people, for too many people, their understanding of God's activity has been reduced to the spectacular. And it appears to them that the spectacular is something that happens only to someone else and never to them. That's why we need to study the broad work of the Spirit so that we can recognize His activity in others' lives and point it out to them. For example, some of the greatest manifestations of power that I've seen are in individuals who are suffering greatly, but yet not complaining. That's spiritual power. And I draw their attention to that, helping them to understand that this response isn't simply their natural disposition or temperament, it's God's power in action. And if He were not at work, no doubt they would be bitter and angry at God in their suffering. And so as you, you mention how God is working in your life, or someone's life that you see, it's, a, it's an encouragement to people. And so I would, it would encourage you right, to be looking out for the work of the Spirit in other people's lives Noticing it and then having the humility to then tell others of how you see that. So, so for instance, right, the, the fruit of the Spirit is, help me, what's the first one? It's love. So, you think about this. You see someone, and I'm thinking of someone in this congregation. I'm thankful to God for the tender care you demonstrate towards your wife and your children. It shows that God is working in your life. To show a great heart of compassion. I'm talking about Tim Iverson. I mean, that's just so true of you, Tim. Your care and your love for 
Wendy and the kids are just so evident. I see you running around, and you're busy, and yet you're doing so many household things. You put me to shame, and I am, I'm thankful to God for that. Or how about this? Love, what? what, what what's, what's the fruit of the Spirit again? Love, joy, right? And I'm thinking of a, a woman in our congregation. Sister, I'm thankful to God for the joy in your life. I know there's some pretty tough things in your life. Your face is often vibrant and alive and joyful. It shows that God is, is working in you. I think about you, Laura Dre. Just things in your life are difficult. Yet you're always just trusting the Lord. It comes across as joyful. It's, it's God's grace in your life. I know that. But I see that, and I just want to encourage you in that. God's work in your life. Okay, love, joy, help me, peace. All right. Another one. Brother, I'm thankful to God for the peace in, in your life. I know there's turmoil, uncertainty in your life. You need a job, any job, even a low-paying job. Yet you seem to have peace about the process of finding your job so as God's working your soul. I'm talking about Jerry. He just needs a job. Bring his wife over here. Lots of uncertainty right now. He's just trusting in Christ. I see that God's working peace in your life. And I'm encouraged by that. Just thankful to God for that. Now, is that encouraging? All I'm doing is I'm taking the fruit of the Spirit, seeing how God is working in someone's life, and identifying that in their lives. And, and it just comes across as super encouraging. And you continue on with patience and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when you see these things in the lives of others, you can greatly encourage them by, by telling others that you notice that about them the work of God in their life. That's what encouragement is. And that's what Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 1. He saw that they had a faith that was working. Right? Faith without works is dead, and this faith was working, so it was genuine. He saw that. And they had a love that was laboring. Right? Love that doesn't work and labor and make efforts isn't love at all. But they saw that love that was laboring and hope that was steadfast. He saw them believing and, and being convinced of that and this having this hope that endured. He said all these things are real. And Paul said he was thankful to God, and I believe that that came across as great encouragement to those in Thessalonica. And throughout the letter, Paul is encouraging them. That's what the letter's about. Press on, excel still more, but be encouraged. Now, lest we forget the context of these verses, of chapter 5, verse 11, right, we need to step back because we haven't been preaching right through this book. We need to see where's the context of coming these. Uh, they're dealing with the, the coming of the Lord. Look back at chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as the others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, those in Thessalonica were concerned about those who had died. They were concerned particularly that they may miss out on the coming of the Lord because they're dead and their bodies are in the ground and, and they were grieving for them. And Paul says, don't grieve for them. Right? You can have hope. 
In fact, they have it better than we do. See, when, when Christ returns, they will be with him first because he's going to raise the dead in Christ first. Then we who are alive shall be caught up with Christ afterwards. And it's only after they are with Christ that then we are with Christ. It is as if you will, those who have died are in the front row. We're in the back row. We've got to wait. They've got it better than we do because they're going to be first and then we go. And then after that, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And there's the, the encouragement. Is that, yes, you've got these people who have who've dead, but, but they died in Christ and they're going to be with, with Him first even because we are, are coming second and know that we're always going to be with the Lord. So a way to encourage people is with eschatology. Right? The prophetic coming of Christ. It's an encouragement. And sadly, oftentimes, prophetic speakers just stir up fear and turmoil. This is no, this is comfort to know that it's, it's better for those who have died. And we are going to be just fine. We'll be with the Lord always. In fact, that's the emphasis right here. Just be comforted. Be encouraged with these words. And I think by application of this, you can, you can speak not only eschatology or the end time, but you can speak just any truth of Scripture that meets the need of the moment. Right? When you see someone needs encouragement, prayerfully seek the words that they need and then speak them. So, like for instance, if someone is feeling remorse over sin, speak to them of the Gospel. Remind them. You've believed and trusted in Christ, haven't you? Well, Christ died for sins just like what you're mourning over and believe and trust that, that your sin was nailed to the cross. So hope in Christ. See, that's just speaking truth into someone's life, the gospel in a, a point of despair. Or if someone's worried about some future event, just remind her of the sovereignty of God, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. We, we don't have to worry about, about this future event where there's some uncertainty or we don't know what's exactly. Just, just trust in God. God's promised us in His Word that He's working it out for our good. Or if someone fears how his boss or co-workers are going to respond to some stand of righteousness he took at work, just remind him that as Psalm 27 says, the, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? Just realize that God is your light. God is your salvation and trust in Him. Or maybe uh, she's struggling with dealing with her unsaved husband. Right? Just just. Remind of the plan, the plan of God, that God can win him without a word through holy conduct. Just trust. Just live rightly. And, and may your words, you've prayerfully, prayerfully prayed for them, may your words be like Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So you've got these golden apples in this silver setting, which is just pleasant and delightful. And may your timely word of speaking truth into someone's life be an encouragement to them. That's what Paul was doing. He just spoke truth about the second coming of Christ and then said, encourage one another these words. And a similar theme happens here in uh, chapter 5. He speaks truth again. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying... There is peace and security. Then suddenly, destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not of darkness. 
for that day to surprise you like a thief? For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God is not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, those in Thessalonica apparently want to know more about the future. Like, when are these things going to be? Or how is it exactly going to happen? And Paul says, listen, you know enough already. You don't need to know anymore. You know that Christ will come like a a thief in the night. Now, that's going to surprise people. It's going to surprise those who are walking in the darkness, who are are drunk and not even caring about their life at all. But for those in the daytime, it's not going to surprise you. Because as you walk in the light and as you are awake and sober and ready for his coming, there is no danger. Because, verse 9 says, God has not destined us for wrath, but he's destined us for salvation Through Jesus Christ. So be ready for his coming and you will find salvation in him. You will be with him. So encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So speak the truth in people's lives. So I encourage you, church family. Speak words of truth and life and hope into the lives of others. And so encourage one another. Now, did you notice here in chapter 5, verse 11, how he used another word? beyond encourage one another, a kind of a synonym here. He said, build one another up just as you are are doing. So you encourage one another, and secondly, you you build one another up. Now, in many ways, those are synonyms. Those are are basically talking about the the same thing. And here's here's the application point. We can look at others as building projects. Don't look at them as projects, okay? Look at them as building projects. And when building projects take place, lots of supplies are needed. You need um, a foundation, you need a floor, you need studs, you need drywall, you need ceiling, you need paint, and you need a lot of skill of assembling all those things and putting all those things together to, to form and build whatever your building project is. And likewise in the church, all of us are building projects. All of us are like, like houses that need to be built. And the supplies that are needed to build each of us are many, but they're words. Words build us up. Some are big words, some are small words, some are timely words, some are words from parents, some are words from kids, some are words from church members, but they all help to build us up. And I just say this, that much skill is needed in dispensing these words. Just as the the carpenter has much skill in putting together the house, so also we, we need some skill in dispensing these words, and there's no better place that I know of to go than Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 29, so watch, let's turn over there at Ephesians 4, verse 29. It's not that it requires so much skill, but it requires some, some understanding and some care, some concern. Ephesians four twenty nine, page 978, the Pew Bibles, says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
In this verse, we see a prohibition, we see a command, and we see a reason. The prohibition is really simple, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The command, the positive command, um, is the opposite. Rather than corrupting talk come out of your mouth, let your talk only be good for the, here it is, the building up. That is, words that are building up other people. And the reason comes at the end, that it may give grace to those who hear. So let's think about this prohibition and this command and this reason for just a a few moments here. The prohibition, no corruption. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now the imagery that Paul is using picks up on an imagery of a a rotting fruit or a a decaying fish. That's what Jesus used this word as, sapros. He used it in Matthew chapter 7 of the bad fruit on the tree, you know, you've seen this swiveled up apples on the tree or that, that fall on the ground and just aren't good for anything. That's what he's picturing here. He's picturing in Matthew chapter 12 about just sifting out between good fish and bad fish and decaying fish. So picture with me this decaying fruit. Picture bananas, right? You guys, you guys know what bananas are like? They start, you buy them from the, from the store and they're, what color? They're green and then they turn into... Yellow, and then they get yellow with the brown spots, and the brown starts encompassing everything, and then they turn black, and you got all these flies around there. Normally, what happens is you take them and you put them in some 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 bag, and then you disguise them with a lot of sugar and uh, call it banana bread, and it's really good. But it's only after you disguise it and put it over. But I want you to picture that banana. Just kind of rotting there with all those flies, fruit flies flying around. That's no good. Or, or think with me, with your nose, about that rotting fish. You, you've probably seen that, right, in a, in a lake or something. It's just kind of sitting there. It's been rotten for a day or two or five or, or whatever. And you're, you're, whatever, you're in the lake and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what is that? And you look over and you're about 20 feet away and you smell this stench. It's just like, ugh. And you don't even want to come close to that thing. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, yes? And that's what Paul is saying. Don't, those sorts of things can come out of your mouth. It's going to rot and it's going to corrode people. Corrupting, corroding, decaying words. And he's saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now certainly the swear words is certainly part of that. But I don't think it's just profanity he's talking about here. I think we're talking about words that, that bring discouragement. Words that bring death. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And do you realize that your tongue is a deadly weapon? It can bring death. And, and what makes a tongue worse than a gun is that a gun is a quick death. But the words bring about a slow death as it just corrupts. That's what you said. Gets into people and just corrupts and decays. With a tongue, death can come over a lifetime. A tongue is more like bringing death by torture. I've sat with grown men who've told me of devastating words their father has spoken to them. Son, you're worthless. You won't ever account for anything. 25 years before, still haunting the man today. Because he never gained his father's approval. His father was just degrading against him. And he can remember time and space where the guy said that. 
Dad probably doesn't know, doesn't even know that he kind of spoke that. He doesn't remember that conversation probably, but they hurt and words haunt even spoken 20 years before. And parents, you can torture your children by the way you speak to them as well. If you speak to them in a downgrading, insulting manner, you're crushing your children. Don't speak with your children like that. Edify your children. Church family, you can torture others by words you speak as well. See, the greatest conflict that I've seen in the church or dealt with in the church um, has come verbally. I have yet to have to intervene between two guys like fighting each other. Like, oh, I've got to get on this side, right? You see that maybe in a, in a football game, right, where guys are fighting and then the team members can get away and they get in front. Hockey, they don't do that. They just kind of let them go. I don't understand how they just let them go. But football, at least there's some decency and they, and they try to pull them apart. I, I've never had to do this as a pastor. Now, that doesn't mean the day won't come when that... But I've never had to do that. But... I've had many times where as a pastor I've had to try to intervene where corrupting words came out of mouths and there was a fighting back and forth and the damage is so great sometimes beyond repair apart from the miraculous power of Christ. And that can happen in marriages where husband and wife just tear each other down. You know, And there's a way to sarcastically kind of degrade your spouse. I just say, don't do that. Don't make any kind of joke that's not edifying words. Rather, identify evidences of grace, evidences of spirit in the, in the life of your, your husband or your wife and speak those well. Find good, profitable things in the life of your kids and don't speak the corrupting words, but rather, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, verse 29, let no one corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such a, a word as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And Paul is arguing here, he's, he's saying, use words that build up. Use words that edify. Use words that, that grow and that, and that help and that, that prosper. Parents, how often do you do this with your kids? Just build into them and, and grow into them. Right? If I just look at my, my two youngest here, right? I can think about David. David, you need to sit down, okay, so I can, I can talk to you. <laughs> Sorry. Caught him at a bad moment, but that's what I love. I, our kids aren't perfect, and you know that, that very well. But David, one of the things I really appreciate about you is just your, your attention to detail. You know numbers like, like nobody's business. I mean, he just knows lists of things, sizes of countries. You're interested in geography. I like how you play pool with me every single day, and if we don't play, you want to play because you want to get better at that. And I love how you can memorize the Bible and how you love, like Psalm 1, our fighter verses. He's memorized that, and that's a good job, David. I really appreciate about that, about you. And Stephanie, I've described other people in life. Uh, you have a golden voice. That's what she's, four other kids, mom and dad, nah. She's got a golden voice. In fact, I was trying to sing even today and, and trying to sing in the harmony. And she's laughing at me. I'm like, I think I hit the right note. She's like, oh. She hears it and I don't hear it. And Stephanie, you have a golden voice. You are full of life and you are full of vigor and I, I really appreciate that. And you have a passion for the, the scriptures. You know the Bible very, very well. You've listened through. It's Bible Living Sound. I've talked to you all before about that. She's listened through all those CDs, DVDs, MP3s, whatever. Probably 12 times. 12 times. And has borne great fruit in your life. You only listen to those because you're interested. And Yvonne, I, I just appreciate you as well. Just, uh, I really 
thank God for you. You guys have no idea how much Yvonne helps me. And you just, we, I ask things about you and you just, just help. And I, I stretch you many times and you come along and I'm, I'm thankful for that. You are interested in what I'm interested in and uh, you're studying hard. I'm looking forward to being with you. Um, we had a, a picture of a missionary friend who was going over to minister to the Philippines and the Facebook said, uh, I'll be gone for three and a half, three weeks from my husband. And I sent that to you and said, I'm looking forward to being with you. It's going to be a great time. We're together. I just love being in your presence. I love your passion for the word. I love hearing you pray. So we pray together. Do you ever do that? Husbands, wives, wives, husbands, children. Be about using edifying words. And I, I spoke the truth. I mean, none of those things are a lie about all those, my children. They're just words that are, that are edifying. They are building up. In fact, that's the, the whole purpose of the church is that we would, would be built up. Chapter 4, verse 11. God gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. Pastors, leaders are given to equip the saints so as to work and labor so the church is built up. And one of the ways it's built up here is by non-corrupting, edifying, building words as we build into people's lives. Until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature that belongs, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, that is saying right things, true things in love. Oftentimes we think of that phrase, speaking the truth in love, is like confrontation. But speaking the truth in love is also speaking edifying, encouraging words for the sake of love and building up. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, who, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are commanded and called as a church to grow and the way we grow is through words that we have with one another that we give to one another that we speak to one another that we constantly try to encourage and lift up i'm reminded the the book of acts tells a story of a, a man named barnabas maybe you remember him he's introduced in acts chapter four about giving some property, laying at the feet of the apostles, who then took it and distributed it to any as each had need. And then Anna and Sapphira tried to follow that model, but they kept back some for themselves. But Barnabas was the guy who just gave and helped. Barnabas also was the one who believed in the apostle Paul after it is Damascus Road experience. Paul's out, Acts chapter 9. He's out on the Damascus Road, gets blinded, and then he's off. And then, and then rumors come about that he's a Christian now. And, and this guy was like totally, he was going to, to capture Christians in Damascus. And the one guy who believed in him was Barnabas. And Barnabas staked his life on this. Says, so Paul, no, come, he really is true. Look, he's confounding these Jews. And Barnabas was so encouraging to Paul that he trusted Paul and he believed in him. Barnabas was the one who brought Paul, Saul, up to um, the church in Antioch. 
the church in Antioch was growing, and Barnabas was there and part of it, and he said, I, I can't do this. But I know who can. I know Saul can. And so he went back to Jerusalem and called Saul and brought Saul up to be with Barnabas. He spent a year there, the disciples. Maybe it was 18 months. I can't quite remember. But, but Saul was there, and Barnabas said, you know, Paul, you're such a great teacher, and you're such a great equipper. Why don't you come and equip? Because you're the guy. And just encouraging certainly to Saul and encouraging to, to Paul and certainly encouraging to everyone else. And Barnabas is one of those who went out in the missionary journey, went out with Paul in the, in, the, in the places. But it was Paul who was speaking, and Barnabas was kind of coming alongside as his helper. He was the encourager. He was the builder up. He was the one who did the errand so that Paul could speak because he felt like Paul was one who was, was better at that than, than he was. And then when they, when they uh, went back and sought to revisit the churches, there was a conflict that Barnabas had with Saul. And the conflict was that, that Barnabas believed in John Mark, who had deserted them. And because I think Barnabas' character was just to believe in people and to encourage them and to help them. And Paul said, no, not on this missionary journey. And so they split their ways. Well, later you read at the end of Colossians, at the end of Second Timothy, that bring Mark because Mark is useful to me. Whereas one point Paul said, no, he's not useful to me because he deserted me. But Barnabas, I believe, was the encourager to build him up to the point where he could get to be a help. And there is Barnabas. And do you know what Barnabas' name means? Barnabas, who knows? Help, what? Son of encouragement. Acts 4, you can read that. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He was one who believed in people. He, he lifted them up. He built them up. He restored Mark. He brought in the Apostle Paul. All these things. And then the reason. There's the prohibition, the command, and the reason. The prohibition, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such a word is good for building up. There's a command. It fits the occasion, right? When it's right, you give those words. Here's the reason. That it may give grace to those who hear. Now, when we hear the word grace, we often think that it's, it's God who gives saving grace to us. It's God who gives grace. But do you realize that you can give grace to other people? You have it in your hand to give grace to other people. You say, what does that mean? It means like encouragement, help, spiritual strength. You can spiritually strengthen other people with your words. That it may give grace to those who are here. You want to give grace? Who's up for giving grace? I hope you are. Um, I have two illustrations to end end on here, and um, you know maybe I'll I'll end I'll, I'll end with this one. I'll start with this one first. Actually, I have, I have a couple. My my daughter gave me grace, Carissa. Um, she's in England, student teaching, and uh, you know my birthday came up recently, a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, you, if you're on Facebook, you know what that means. That means you get a bazillion people saying, Happy birthday, Steve. Happy birthday, Steve. Have a great day. Happy birthday, Steve. But there, there are some, and I encourage you as you think about it, you can, when you say happy birthday, why don't you try giving a happy birthday greeting like my daughter did? She said this. And I'm, I, I just, I want to say, I am so encouraged by what she said about me. Okay. So I'm just saying that this is grace that I have received and I'm sharing my 
excitement and encouragement in that. Happy birthday to the man who taught me to appreciate football. Hashtag MNF. Monday Night Football. Hashtag Nort, which doesn't mean anything to you. Hashtag TR, which doesn't mean anything to you, but means a lot to me and Carissa. He taught me how to appreciate football, how to solve a Rubik's Cube, how to worship God wholeheartedly, and so much more. Dad, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for you. Can't wait to see you in a few short weeks. That was, the world heard that. You think that gave grace? That gives grace. And next time you put a happy birthday thing, how about thinking about, oh, someone's birthday on Facebook. I got a chance to give grace. I can give some grace. So let me speak some truth of encouragement into people's lives. Now, sadly, I haven't done that. But I think I might, based on this message. I think I might as I think about what Carissa wrote about me, my birthday, how much it encouraged me, how much I can encourage others. In fact, let me share you with you a, uh, the best Christmas present that we got as a family. Um, that by, by far, um, we have a, a good friend of ours. I don't think you know he, he came to church once or twice I don't, but but kind of a friend of ours we don't see him a lot but we have seen him mostly through um theater and things like that and um uh he has his custom for the five days before christmas every year he just seeks to encourage a family that he knows and and he just writes about the family and so for five days of christmas i'm not sure he's done this two or three years or something like that so he's i i can't I, and um, so, in fact, we've even seen that come up and say, oh, who's he going to honor this time? Who's he going to honor this So Christmas comes, 2015, and we say, who's he going to honor? Let's, let's see. And you know who he honored? He honored the Brandon family for the world to see. And I'm just telling you, the grace that it gave us was amazing. Let, let me just read it to you to kind of give you a sense. And, and again, this isn't to... It isn't to lift me up. I'm just saying that I've experienced the receiving end of this, and I so want to be on the giving end of this. I can't imagine a world without the Brandons. Steve, Yvonne, Sr., Carissa, Hannah, who he calls Bluebird, Stephanie, Grace, and David. He always calls Stephanie, Stephanie, Grace. So how to keep this short enough so people read the whole thing is going to be tough. If I believed in reincarnation, I would insist on coming back born into this family. What a... What a gracious thing he said. He said, Steve is a pastor, has an incredible knowledge of God's word, and he teaches it with such passion, but in a humble manner. You should really go to their church one time and hear him. I believe the true evidence of a pastor's calling is a shepherd's heart, and he has it in spades. A good friend who always cares about what's going on in my life, that's him. Avon, a mother of five, should write a book about raising children because these kids have turned out to be some of the finest young people I've ever met. She always opens their home to people, offering great food and fun conversations. Tremendously gifted musically, yet you hardly ever find out about it in conversation. She's more interested in talking about you, your dreams, your struggles, and how she can support you in them. Always cheery, but is very wise and gives you just the spoonful you need. David, the youngest, is already a video star. And likes to be in front of the camera. I'm excited to see what the Lord has in store for him. SR, an incredibly intelligent young man with huge skills in videography, graphic arts, 3D, and claymation. I had a chance to direct and produce him in a few theater shows, and that was fun. He's a little more quiet, but still has no problem giving me a big hug. Bluebird. That's the name I call Hannah ever since we met the auditions for Annie when she sang Zippity-Doo-Dah with a fake Bluebird attached to her shoulder. I honestly forget her real name at times. 
And it's very affectionate when he calls her Bluebird. She was in Annie and a few other shows, and she did a great job performing. She has since taken up being a volleyball star. Always glad to see Jan and me. She has never let on if calling her Bluebird didn't warm her heart. Carissa was the first of the kids I got to meet, and I've always been amazed at the love I've seen in her eyes and coming from her heart. Just saying hi to her made me feel better about my day and about myself. She is one of the most tender spirits I've ever seen a young person, and God is and will continue to do amazing things through her. Stephanie Grace. There is so much wrapped up in this little girl that calling her by her first name alone never was enough. Just picture Alka-Seltzer in a bottle of 7-Up coming out to boil on the stove. Even before she was old enough to be on stage, she could perform at an incredible level. God has blessed her with such a passion for acting and a transparent spirit which allows that to come out with amazing quality. She shines like a diamond on stage. Her accelerator always seems to be on the floor, so I know that God will take her very far, very fast. Thank you, Brandon, for sharing your amazing family with Jan and me. We're better people because of all of you. Now, what do you think that did for the Brandons that Christmas day? The best Christmas present we ever could have. And it took him maybe an hour of wordsmithing. You can give such grace to other people. You can do it. Take some humility. Take some effort. But you can encourage one another. So what, here's what we did. We got that. We drove to their house unannounced just on Christmas morning to see them. And uh, as, as God would have it, we're, we're driving there to their house. And uh, I forget. We like, like looked over and we there they are. And uh, we, I opened my door and I'm here. And, hey, Terry, how you doing? He said, good. He said, how are you? He said, good. He said, where are you going? We said, we're going to your house. He said, so are we. So we both drove and we got to their house. And God sovereignly closed something so they couldn't go. So they were driving home. And we had a wonderful visit for maybe an hour or so, just celebrating that Christmas day with them. And uh, think about how is my perspective and attitude towards Terry? I'm always calling him Barnabas. I always call him an encourager. Always encouraging. Why? Because he's doing that same thing to me. And you can have a similar response. I would love to see a church of Barnabases. Love to see a church of encouragers who are always speaking the truth in love with one another and building others up in a great love. And we can do that. And we ought to do that. In fact, we are commanded to do that. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Um... Let me just share one last illustration here. Sam Crabtree's excellent book, Practicing Affirmation. Um, if, if you want to read this book, I thought about buying this book for everybody, but if you want to read this, you just tell me and I'll order one for you. Uh, if you promise to read it, I'll give one to you for free is what I'll do. So he talks about his daughter, how he lost his daughter, and how he gained her back through words of affirmation. I thank God for the way in which my relationship with one of my daughters was rescued and strengthened. When she turned up, she turned 11, she was suddenly aloof and unapproachable. Up until then, she had been very pleasant, but overnight she became disinterested in relating to me, remaining uninterested in relating to others. Well, disinterested in relating to me while remaining interested in relating to others. My daughter no longer listened to me. She didn't seem upset or angry, just detached and uninterested, as though her relational radio just no longer picked up my frequency 
Or maybe she was intentionally not tuning me in, or or both. I wasn't the first person to agonize in a painful state of affairs with someone, a spouse, a loved one, a coworker, someone at church. The, The lines were dead. You keep dialing the number, but nobody picks up. I felt like I was losing her. And all of a sudden, seemingly overnight, it was as though the knowledge of the universe had instantaneously been transferred to her brain, and she no longer needed to listen to anyone. In that same instant, all of her parents' knowledge had been sucked out of their brains, leaving them with nothing of value to say to her. Of course, it isn't really true that she knew everything and her parents knew nothing, but that seemed to be her perception and put her in a dangerous place. It was obvious to me that if nothing were to change, the relational drain that had gained a foothold would accelerate into the deadening and deafening silence of alienation. How could we help her, this child of our love? We couldn't get to her heart. She was taking our cues elsewhere and we were locked out meanwhile we looked around and saw other young teens also cutting off their parents i recall that near the end of his five-year why wait campaign for sexual purity josh mcdowell was asked by an interview if he could sum up five years of programming aimed at equipping youngsters around the country to avoid huge and regrettable mistakes in one sentence what was the point mcdowell said it comes down to a quest for daddy's arms he meant that young girls who do not receive genuine love from their dads, will settle for cheap imitations in the arms of those who are all too willing to exchange flattery for favors, feigned affection for physical privileges. An 11-year-old who tunes out her dad in a very vulnerable, is in a very vulnerable place, and my love for my daughter couldn't resign and just leave her there. Daughters who are 11 are going to need some input, even corrective input from dads, input without which they will be at a severe disadvantage. Love ob- obligates a dad not to give up when a child tunes him out. I soberly thought that I must regain a hearing. I determined that this 11-year-old daughter, whom I loved, would receive more praise from me than from anyone else on the face of the globe. I became a student of her. I thought, if I have to stay up nights thinking of ways to commend her, then I will because she is going to need to hear her father, who happens to be me. So I began following her around. I didn't mean two steps behind her, but I was always on the lookout for things to commend. Alert affirmation requires vigilance. One day she was in her room with the door open, so I knocked and entered. It would be helpful at this point to contrast her with her sister at the time. Her sister was very orderly. Her shoes were all in pairs on the racks and her clothes were all hung up, a place for everything and everything in its place. But the daughter that I'm talking about used an MBO method, management by observation, leaving things out where you can see them. And as I entered her room that day, I noticed that she had arranged the items on the top of her dresser in such a way the taller things were towards the back row and her shorter things were stair-stepped towards the front so you could see everything. If you place the shorter items in the back, then you can't see them and you have to reach over the taller things in front in order to get them, risking knocking over the taller things in front when you walked past them, when you reached past them. I exclaimed, I like what you've done here. You're very methodical. That makes complete sense. Very orderly, very systematized. I see the character of God in this. Jesus does everything decently and in order, and your orderliness reflects the way that he is. And with that, I walked out, ignoring the rest of the tsunami in her room. Only a few minutes later, I happened to walk past the kitchen when she was hugging her mom, and I immediately stopped, shook a pair of touchdown celebration fists in the air, and declared... I love what you're doing. It is so good for an 11-year-old to be hugging her mom. It's good for the young woman. It's good for the mom. It's good for the dad who happens to walk past. And I think it pleases God himself. Is it okay to bring God into our compliments? If you don't think so, then you're going to have a hard time with this book. Bringing God into compliments is the best the thing we can give them. I do not mean bringing him in so it's an afterthought, but basing your compliments and affirmation on his character. I made affirming 
her my responsibility, which it is. I kept up the barrage of affirmations. In a matter of days, we had our daughter back. And to this very day, she asked our opinion about lots of things. Things she would clearly be at liberty to do without checking with us first. The channels of communication are open and sweet. And parents, you may need to be in the business of being one who affirms to get your children back. I don't know where you are in that process, but I would encourage you in your homes to be affirming of your kids. I would encourage you in your church to be affirming of other church members that God would build us up to the unity of the faith to be a mature man in Christ. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you for this word. I pray that you would help us and stir our souls. We look at these one another's this summer. God, help us to be everyone that you would have us to be. God, may we be a church filled with Barnabases. God, you do the work. God, you grant the humility in our lives to, to be open and vulnerable. God, to say the things that, that need to be said for the building up. And I pray we would see how much grace that we have to give. And God, we'd see it through that perspective that we wouldn't speak corrupting words, but we'd speak building up words to give grace. God, that grace would overflow and that at Rock Valley Bible Church, indeed, we would enjoy your grace and enjoy the grace of others. God, so help us even to extend your glory, God, beyond these church walls to all who need to hear the the saving message of Christ. We thank you and love you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.